Hi, I'm Ben. I'm Isabel. Welcome to Conversations in Company, a podcast from the charity Suicide and Cope, here to make the suicide loss journey a little less lonely. We've both been on the journey for a few years. I lost my brother to suicide in 2018. And I lost my cousin to suicide in 2017. We really hope that we and our guests can offer you some companionship wherever you are on this journey. talking about um physical effects of grief today um yep. interesting one because i don't think it's, it's a fun one it is always always with this podcast um but it's, yay <laughs> yay really lovely um but it's an important one because it's not really talked about enough and i think actually like it can be quite a i think it sort of grief affects everyone differently right and you get different physical effects and i know we probably have similar ones that have affected us but then we probably have different ones and yeah and it's an important one to talk about because it can make you feel quite like i don't know a lot of my grief, I started questioning whether I was doing it right or wrong or what was going on and reading into things um, because I didn't ever hear from someone what was normal. And actually, a lot of these are pretty normal. So it's yeah. good to be talking about it. Um, would you like to start us off with just the the like headlines of what your biggest or most noticeable yeah. physical effects of your grief were? Just preface it by okay. saying that like, if I've got a physical ailment, I have got no issue in being like, right, we need to sort this now. Like I'm very used to my body just like working. Mm. And so if I notice a twinge or a bit of pain and also massive hypochondriac, like I don't care how overworked the NHS is. I'll call the GP <laughs> and be like, I've got a pain in the right side of my nose. It feels like it's a bit nervy. Can you fix it, please? I think I might be dying. I've probably got cancer. So if you could just make yeah. sure it's not that, that would be great. Um, so my first, my biggest, and also probably the biggest marker of like how unwell I was the year after Jen died was I like, I, I get back pain anyway. It's like a symptom of a busy life and also like quite a lot of desk time. Um, and I had got such bad tension in my upper back that I woke up one morning and my entire shoulders, neck, like all of this area was so tensed up that it took me something like 25 minutes mm. to like find the like enough energy to work through the pain and get myself out of bed wow so I then had to have I think I went to the physio three or four times that week um I was off sick from work you know or like mm. and you know when you're like now looking back and like obviously that was related and I, I think I realized later but um, I just remember being like, oh, I've got back pain. Oh, it's because of the way yeah. I sit. Yeah, I sit badly. Oh, blah, blah, this, that, and the other. But actually, um, that was the most obvious one, mm. uh, which you had as well. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I, I, I went to a, I had a massage about a year after Sam died and the woman said she was, I think she was trying to be like, make a conversation, but she was just like, I just want to say, I've been doing this for 25 years and you have the the tensest back I've ever felt. <laughs> I was yeah. like, okay, uh, here we go. Yeah, yeah, I think so many people get that. It's like stress, right? Example, it, it always stored in the shoulders. That's why it feels yeah. so relaxing to have someone rub your shoulders, right? Um, it's all stored up yeah. there. And like, let's face it, these things that like grief and stuff like that are incredibly stressful things and it's all stored there. Um, and also for me, like yeah. it was, it was not just grief. It was grief, 
and then starting uni and then like leaving school, moving out. It was just everything yeah. came at once. And, and it obviously got to a point where uh, she honestly, she was just like, do you like, do you go to the gym quite a lot? Because it feels like you're like a bodybuilder. <laughs> and I was like, I'm f- flattered, but no. <laughs> it's interesting how it all like manifests into these things um, that do, do make sense because we know that it's all stored in muscles and especially in the back. Um, and and so, yeah, that's that's for me is a good one. I'll tell you what another interesting one is because I've just almost caught myself doing it then is biting my nails. I've always mm. been a nail biter. Like always, really? I, if forever, like my whole life, I've always, I they're so short. Um, I've always bit my nails, and that year that Sam died, like it was like I don't really remember a time where they weren't hurting my nails because they were so short, and I was like biting them so much. Like it got to a point where there was like I was doing like the skin around it. Um, it was really bad at one point, yeah. and I've tried. I have tried everything to stop biting that when I say everything I've got that weird disgusting gel you put on them that makes everything taste of like mustard yeah. it's disgusting I've tried that for months it uh. didn't work like nothing can make me stop and I've realized actually like it's it's clearly just my reaction to anxiety and and stuff like that it's just biting my nails and it's it's not going to go away I just need to sort of keep a track on it um it's on my in my indicator for when I'm you know anxious yeah. And weirdly, it happens a lot when I'm hungry, um, which I guess yeah. is probably a similar sort of system. Um, but yeah, I got really bad when I was um, got really bad when I was grieving, and then the worst part, I was really biting them to a point where it was hurting almost all the time. It's also like like lethargy. Yeah. That uh, like I think I probably just dismissed as laziness, or like dismissed as like you know just get up, it's fine. Yeah, You're I really like, struggled with this. Like, why Why would you be tired? Like. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, this yeah. Unsy- then, like in unsympathetic that, yeah 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 and I think it's also it's probably programmed in with like generationally and also like at our age and like also just a, a culturally yeah. like oh no if you if you if you're staying in bed beyond whatever time in the morning that's laziness like yeah which is not um, or if you you know have a nap in the afternoon that's not a good thing to do like oh it's silly all this toxic productivity um, like, yeah. sorry, a lot of people yeah, work yeah, yeah. eight hours a day or nine hours a day and do very little work. <laughs> um, and taking a nap is not the end of the world. Yeah, and also, like, it's like there's one, that someone designed nine to five or nine to six, which it now just happens to be as standard, like, 50 years ago. And it's like, if you don't conform yeah. to that exact work pattern of the way your mind, your mind and your body don't like function between like getting up at seven and like get, getting yeah. to bed at like 11 or 12 or whatever and working for eight hours in the middle with an hour's break. If you're, if you don't conform to that, but like, I definitely don't, no, neither. then you are not a good worker. Like, oh, I know it's just like slap bang. I'm lazy. You're not doing well enough. You're not working hard enough. It's this toxic productivity yeah. thing. I have a rule that I live by now that I think everyone should live by. And that's that you should only feel ashamed or guilty if you've hurt someone and you've done something wrong to hurt them. Like, if you've not hurt anyone, then just get rid of that feeling of guilt and shame. Like, it's just completely misplaced. Having a nap, yeah. like, left, no one's been hurt by that. You've, and if, and if anything, uh, there's no shame improved. In oh, oh, like, even, even, like, you know, skipping out on plans, because I know this is common in grief and, like, struggling and people that potentially haven't, yeah. aren't open with things. Skipping out on plans. You haven't hurt anyone. Like, 
you haven't caused any physical damage to anything. So these feelings of guilt and shame need to just leave. Yeah. It's not fair on you um, to do that. And I just, I know for me, like, especially in my job, especially in our jobs, right, it's, it's not consistent. It's all up yeah. and down. And sometimes there won't be work. And I'll be like, oh, I'll just finish Bake Off then. <laughs> and then I'll suddenly feel like, oh, my God, I'm not doing yeah. anything. Like, it's this intense, intense burning feeling of what am I doing? This is absolutely yeah. terrible. I'm just failing at everything. And it's really intense guilt. Um, and, you know, the, like, obviously, we're talking about physical effects of grief here. But actually, the emotional effects of everyday life are heightened in these things as well. Um, so grief, guilt, shame around everyday yeah. decisions and all of this, it's like all heightened um, into this lovely bundle of fun. I I read a a book probably, I think after Jen died, it's about the over, um, the over prescription of antidepressants. I'm, I I haven't I've never taken antidepressants, but I've been prescribed them a couple of times, and I like wouldn't ever say that should someone shouldn't have them. But I remember thinking, like I don't know if this is the best way of me finding my way through this period, and so I was like, I'm going to not take them. And then I read this book where this guy who's a journalist, and I think. I think he's also like a disgraced journalist. And so this book was like, had loads of like external sources and stuff. Cause I think at some point he'd been like discredited external sources about like, um, the three things that are most likely to make you happy, which are eating a healthy balanced diet, uh, getting a, like probably seven to eight hours sleep a night and regular physical movement of mm. some kind. It, I don't know if it said exercise, but you know, making sure that you're, not sedentary basically or you know moving enough for your body and um I remember thinking that and being like oh like it's not like it's not like you don't know that like enough sleep will make you a a better person like I know I'm significantly better when I've had enough sleep um and it's not like I don't know that exercise doesn't massively give me endorphins like I'm a massive advocate for that but it's just that maintaining all three of those things while having a busy life and also probably being grieving is really tough. Mm. Yeah. It is interesting, isn't it? Because like there it is in black and white. It's it's like, that's the happiness. (laughs) And, and we like, it's arguably the most important part of life is being happy. Right. And, and sleep, eating and exercise. It's not, it's not rocket science, but then it's so, so difficult to do when in everyday life it's such an easy thing to forget and it's like it's every time i hear people yeah. say this about like it's very simple you're like oh it's just, it's amazing how simple it is because it feels like such a massive mountain to climb um you know i mean like talk about physical effects of grief like sleep was just felt like impossible at some points and the thing that will always slip up with me is sleep mm. and like i still nearly 6 years down 6 7 years down the line still not a consistently good sleeper mm. and I, that first year was awful mm. in fact probably the first actually I can remember noting to myself like late 2019 I was like you still your sleep still hasn't recovered like fully I think I was probably awake for three or four hours in the night right through until 
whilst 2020 was different obviously because that was a you know we're all I think probably a bit <laughs> having a bit of insomnia but like I remember being like late 2019 being like your sleep has not significantly improved since Jen died and that's not a good sign well we referenced that book the body keeps the score in uh, one of the previous episodes, which I said I was like probably never going to read. I actually started reading it, um, and um, now I am no expert and would not want to self-diagnose. Um, but I read that there was a little bit about it about basically how people with PTSD don't have raised cortisol, and not that's very broad. And I'm sure it's not you know there's nuance in there that I am unable to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bring in but um in the year following Jen's death I had a period where I was like going getting very dizzy and fainting which I went straight to the doctor with because I'm a good girl uh went to the GP got sent to uh got sent to A&E um had a had a like a heart chest test like checking what was going on and they were like look you have a really low heart rate I just walked up the hill. I remember I just walked up the hill and the nurse was like, have you just walked here? And that's how low. And I was like, yeah. I was like, what? Um, and everyone was, there's also a little bit of a thing where people were like, oh, isn't that also a sign of fitness? And I was like, yeah, but I'm not, I, you know, I'm not an athlete. Like I might work out a little bit, but I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not Jessica Ennis. Let's be it. Let's be honest. And um, I then ended up having, I got a referral to a cardiologist and I had a 24 hour tape. So I had basically a heart monitor tape to me and a pack um, around my waist for 24 full hours. And in that time, the cardiologist was like, I want you to do, go for a run and do a gig while you've got this tape on. So I very dutifully did do that, like gig in the evening, run in the morning, which is more than I really like to do in 24 hours. And when I went back to him, he was like, oh, my God, like, I can see, like, your heart's really healthy. We're all fine. Um, I can see where you went for the run. I didn't think you were that kind of morning person, but well done. Like, can you see that's where your heart rate went up from, like, 49 beats a minute right up to 120 very quickly because that's what your body needed at that time. And he was like, but you didn't do a gig. And I was like, yeah, I did. And he was like, no, you didn't. And I was like, look, I did. Mm. Like, And he was like, I can't see where you did it on your heart monitor and because I can tell exactly what time I started what like what time I went on stage because I record every gig on my phone so I was like I went on at 8 17 8 18 so he went through the thing and he just was like looking at the beats of my heart exactly when I will have gone on stage and he was like I can't, I, there's nothing in your heart rate that says mm. I'm about to go and perform to a room full of people and I was like yeah, what? Like I'm, I'm not a very nervous person. And he was like, he, he just was like, you're cool as a cucumber. And it, I just remember he almost like narrowed his eyes at me. Mm. <laughs> like, I'm a psychopath. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah. but I think now, I remember telling my therapist, because I said I was going for heart tests, and my therapist was like, just looked and was like, so your heart's healthy, but you're, it's not raising. And I think, I think I was exhibiting signs of PTSD. Mm which re- feeling realizing this six, seven years later is quite like, like, oh, shit. Mm. Like, because basically you're less likely to find stressful situations. If you're experiencing PTSD, you're less likely to be, find stressful situations stressful mm. because your cortisol, for some reason that I haven't com- fully managed to compute, does not raise. Um, and so I think that also contributes to things like numbness yeah. and, um, you know, lots of, like, finding, like, 
different situations stressful in different ways. And so while like you might think that's an emotional sign of grief, that will actually be your hormones or balances oh, actually displaying actual physical, yeah. Wow. And it's one of the reasons that people often, so that, that which I've kind of thought of being as a bit like a bit bullshit. Like if you have contact with other mammals, they sense that you're, they smell that your stress hormones are like a bit unregulated. Mm. And so they'll offer you support by like nuzzling or something. Oh. And that's, so it's actually, I've always been a bit like, yeah, sure. You, you really like dogs. And so when you pat a dog, it makes you better, but it's actually that that's the amazing. dog is reacting to the smells that you're, you're giving yeah. off. And it's uh, so interesting. That's really interesting to hear because, like, you often it's difficult to imagine, and then suddenly people are like, "Oh yeah, they're like it. It's like a nuclear bomb to cortisol." And and I think back to some of the yeah. stuff that I've done, and I was just like, hey, even now, like like public speaking and talking about my story, it's just like yeah. people were like, "Oh, do you feel nervous?" Like, no, and that's not a brag. It's just there's nothing there, and it feels very much like. And obviously, I'm a very different situation to this, but like afterlife, Ricky Gervais, where he's yeah. just like. Yeah, and who cares and it sort of feels like that a lot of the time that's really interesting and it does make sense because I've definitely felt like not stressed in stressful situations um which yeah. is really interesting and you were saying sort of like um like all of this stuff around uh around st- like cortisol and things and it's just like it's nice to hear that because it's sudden, suddenly like for a lot of grief and for a lot of this going through this stuff it feels like this really alien thing that you're going through um, and it can you can get in your head yeah. quite a lot about it, and I know I did. I was really like judgy to myself about different things, um, and I was like blaming stress yeah. and all this stuff on other things, and then that will become a little bit of a conflict. So it's, I find it really nice to just hear like, oh yeah, like it's a real thing. It's quite well studied, um, and it it does difficult yeah. things in your head. And I think I also so um, I track my periods really carefully. I'm not on hormonal contraception, and like I think it's really good for for people who have periods mm. to know like look at what those cycles and how the hormones work in conjunction with each other. And if you have any imbalance in your hormones, it will often affect number one, your period, but also like a load of other things like certain like raised some hormones and like lowered other hormones might cause all sorts of things, including like, like alopecia, hair loss, like um, Mm. my periods will definitely be a little bit like off kilter if I've, if I'm in a period of really, really big stress. Um, and they definitely were that year, uh, and a bit of like before when she'd been ill, like I really noticed it. Mm. Um, and I think, I think we we've become so. I think we've become so cerebral and so like okay, this is a head thing, and like my body just yeah. exists. Or I I have definitely become like this, that like I'd be like, well, my head's yeah, I'm 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 a bit stressed, but like my body's fine. Like I'm. I'm still alive. I'm still getting up. I'm still like doing the same things. I can still get through like a whole night out and get up for work in the morning. Like I'm fine, like not a problem. And um, realizing also the added stress, if you're putting pressure on yourself to work through those things, the added stress is like you're triple on your body. Like mm. you're, you're grieving. You're, you're just, you, your body just wants to exist. And then you're pushing it to, to over like be overproductive Mm. to like hide all of that as well Mm. so you're like tripling probably all of the things that that will be bad in one way you're making them three times as bad Mm. I think yeah it's so true and and also it's it's linked with all this 
unforgiveness. Like I, I was just so unforgiving to myself. To, to jump back quickly to what you were saying about um, the heart and and all of that, um, I find this really interesting as well. So I'm now an expert. there's something <laughs> not an expert. Dr. Ben, I would love no, to be Dr. Ben, either. but I'm not Dr. Ben. Um, this is just sort of like stuff I've read. Um, so there's this thing that happens that, called vasoconstriction, um, which is probably what yeah. leads to like fatigue, for, like fainting and stuff. And also um, linked to that. So there is a, there is, especially in older couples, um, when an, an old elderly couple, when one of the um, partners dies, um, there is a in heightened chance of the other person dying within about a year. And they've studied it and found that actually it's quite common for particularly a lot older couples that have been together, you know, for like a long time and have a relationship with, with each other for them to die quite soon after each other. And so basically it's from what I've yeah. read and understood when you go through grief, there is a, a noticeable and an and obvious um, inflammation of the heart. And so what happens is when you go through the experience and you have like an underlying heart condition or something like this that might not have been noticeable, mm. it can exacerbate those and actually make make problems worse. And then obviously when you're dealing with old elderly vulnerable patients can actually lead to like death and heart attacks. So I just thought it was really interesting. You get, you, they can see this mm. real impact of grief in a physical way that's actually leading to deaths in in vulnerable patients and vulnerable people yeah. um so yeah it's real like it, it and, and that's also why you know you, breakups people call it heartbreak and heartache because you can sometimes feel it in your chest and it is it's your yeah. heart can actually inflame and swell um anyway back to being normal ben not dr ben i, mm. I, I that may be all completely wrong just a caveat um <laughs> but that's what i've read and i think it's it, it does make sense <laughs> um, all medical advice given in this podcast <laughs> yeah. may in fact not be correct <laughs> that'd be a great that's a great little line to say at the start of everything this all might just be absolute yeah. load of shit <laughs> but listen anyway <laughs> no it's that's what i've read and i think it, it does just it does okay, explain actually, we've lot. got our producers come up with the um uh amber our producer has just in the chat just said it's takotsubo cardiomyopathy wow <laughs> did i say that right as well? takotsubo. You, you nailed the pronunciation and amber is absolutely na- that is an, that is amazing Thank you. i mean doctor is it's about. called broken heart syndrome i actually graduated from medical school yeah can we does that mean we get like a doctorate now is that how it works do we just I'm, I'm like do we just get it is that how it works it can also i read here it can uh develop at any age but typically more women than men hmm. um and it's an inherit it's not inherited so it's brought about like from external um external causes like grief and heartache and heartbreak well i guess that's why it's called broken heart syndrome interesting but this is again this is why it's so interesting because it's like actually what I what really annoys me sometimes is the fact that we constantly refer to mental health as mental health um, when it's not yeah. like it's really not. It's just health. There's not this separate mm. thing, uh, and it does uh, it sort of others a whole topic of things when actually like health's health. Um, and you talk to patients that have got, you know, I, I spoke to a, a very senior person in the NHS who was a doctor, a very good doctor <laughs> that studied for a very, very long time, um, was bless him. He's quite old now. Um, and he was talking about the fact that, again, this might be completely wrong. I might have remembered this wrong, but it's, a, it's you know, I'm going to try anyway. So I had a conversation. And basically, <laughs> I think in the 1970s time, that was a rough guess. 
um, <laughs> he they, they were diagnosing a lot of people with a mental health condition. I think now this is because it was a quite a long time ago. I spoke to him. I think it was um, schizophrenia, um, but it was something like that: schizophrenia, um, psychosis, or something similar to that. And anyway, they were diagnosing a lot of people with this, and it it turned out after researching some of these patients that actually what it was was an inflammation of the lining of the brain and it was basically giving the symptoms of giving the symptoms of psychosis or whatever they diagnosed with but it actually wasn't it was very treatable yeah. so they treated the inflammation of the brain and all the symptoms left and i'm like this is why it becomes unhelpful referring to it as mental health and physical health as separate things because we suddenly create this barrier where we can't see that each thing can interact with each other and actually we are just there is one there's health and there's well-being and there's like how you are like it's not mental health physical health and that's when i find it annoying when it comes to grief like the fact that we're having this conversation about oh by the way there are physical effects like of course they are but you've had you've had a hit to your health not your mental health your health in general um and it's all linked like the brain doesn't go that's a mental health issue we're not 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 doing anything with the body and so i think that it's you know like there's no such thing as mental health and physical health they're things we've made up there is health um and and i think that's important to note i was going to ask you this actually because do you think there is any any physical effect of grief that you is particularly associated with losing someone to suicide because i know for me like the trauma that often comes with suicide like hell I was I was sick a lot um and talking to my counselor she's like well yeah it's like it's your body just rejecting what's going on and rejecting it um and and um so yeah yeah, I was sick a lot um and and had a lot of I guess it's not a physical effect but had a lot of paranoia and all these fun emotions but I was sick a lot it probably is a physical effect though like if you think about it like if that paranoia and also like that that like seeking safe spaces Mm. is probably an effect of like, like, I don't know, maybe I don't know enough and like, it would be great trauma. Yeah. And like seeking a safe space after the trauma Mm. and like seeking to like mitigate the effect that trauma again. I know three people who've died by suicide and like, obviously Jen was the closest by a long, long, long way, but there's something afterwards that is very different to very different to like an old person dying or knowing that someone's been ill for a while and and them die like and sort of being aware that at some point they might die and then when it happens there's a there's for me a very different Mm. feeling of it's 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 a slightly different feeling and I like the suicide loss has always felt much much hotter is how I'd describe it mm. in my head but also like the, there's a I, I do I feel a really really strong sense of panic like and I don't know whether that's it's not happened since Jen because it's but it was someone a few months before and four years before or something it's not happened since but um, I, I'm really familiar with the feeling of like, oh God, no, I need to stop it. Like, and I don't know whether that's also something for me, like it, I can feel like, cause I'm anxious anyway, like a panic attack starting to rise of like, oh, what can I do to stop this happening again? Mm. Oh, I don't like it. No, no, no. And like, but I wonder, I don't know what that, 
what's caused that. But yes, I'm I'm much more anxious after a suicide loss than a than another yeah. kind of loss. Um, yeah, and like I guess, well, look, there's we can talk about post traumatic stress disorder, but you actually post traumatic stress yeah. happens to a lot of people, right? It's it can be quite a normal reaction to yeah. just trauma and and stuff stuff like that. And for me. Like I never developed post-traumatic stress disorder, thankfully, but I certainly, especially in the first three months, had oh, just intense, intense post-traumatic stress. I uh, and like it was, you know, yeah. I'm talking about paranoia, but it was literally paranoia about drawers, like opening a drawer. Um, I had an absolute like white hot fear of closed doors um and open and what's behind them or like what's behind a cupboard door and I remember I was like I just I couldn't open my sock drawer because I was so scared of opening the sock drawer yeah. and it was just this and I, I got prescribed um medication for that um I haven't been prescribed medication since but yeah I was on anti-anxiety tablets for that because it was just this absolute like petri- petrified of what was behind a door it was just awful yeah. really awful and I guess it is like your like a, your brain basically trying to keep you safe. Did you struggle with um, substance, alcohol, drugs, smoking? Did you coffee, coffee even? I mean, coffee. I still have an absolute dependency to um, alcohol. Definitely. Um, I and it's also it was partly also, and I noticed this. I don't know if we've already spoken about this on the pod or whether it was on a something else I like I really struggled I knew when I got home and was on my own in my room that like I was going to have quite a lot of disturbed thoughts and I knew when I went to bed I was having really really terrible dreams for Mm. maybe not that long but like disturbed enough that I when I started telling people that was when I was like uh people would be like Isabel I think you need some help um but before that I remember being like I'd finished my day job and I remember looking around and being like, right, who am I going to persuade to go for a drink with me? Because I knew that if I had three or four glasses of mm. wine, I'd get home drunk, I'd eat and I'd go to sleep. And I wouldn't sleep well, but like at least I'd, like, I wouldn't have trouble going to sleep. It, interesting about this is because alcohol is so like in connected to sort of socializing and socializing is such a distraction yeah then it sort of like goes hand in hand and I know that's how it worked for me it was like I wasn't I don't think I was ever going out because I wanted alcohol to help solve things but I was going out and doing seeing more people and going out more because I wanted like that yeah. social that expects the sort of distraction that comes with it but it got to a point where like so I, I was in this situation where like I started uni I was a fresher a few months after Sam died. I mean, what an awful thing to be exposed to when you've just gone through something bad. Like it was literally like alcohol, partying, no sleep, like on a plate. And you're like, of course, you're just going to eat it. You're just going to have it all. Yeah. And I think, so I, I'm i quite social anyway. So it's quite normal for me to fill my calendar and like whatever, where it was. Now I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but I I remember being like, you know when you read about alcoholics saying that like having a drink is like magical and it wasn't that it was magic it's just that I knew once I was half a glass in I would feel a bit more like oh like we've we've shut down the bad thoughts now yeah so it wasn't that it was magical it was that I was like I was aware of how altered Mm. um altered I was you know and that 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 was easier 
Um, and I remember I had to go through it. What I'm quite, I've got quite a good like homing instinct for like getting back to healthy habits. And I remember being like, I think I'm going to have to stop drinking for a few weeks. Mm. Um, and so I, I did like, like straight up and I didn't stop socializing. Okay. So I, what I would do, and I'd have to be like, also would just to stop people from being like, oh my God, are you pregnant? I'd have to be like, I'd go up to the bar and I'd ask the person for like a lime and soda so that people thought I was drinking gin and tonic. Yeah. And if I then, if someone asked me what it was, I'd be like lime and soda. And they'd be like, lol, Isabel's not drinking a lime and soda. And I'd be like, haha, I am. Um, yeah. And I, but I remember being like, okay, I need to stop this. Like I was aware that I was definitely like medicating and altering where I, where my head was at using mm. alcohol. Mm. Wow. It takes a lot to even recognize that. Um, yeah. Mm. I think also it's very easy with my job because, and I, like I was a very early stage comedian at that point as well. Like it's, if you're out and you're doing a gig in a place where they sell alcohol and there are some fun people around, it's very easy to be like, okay, yeah. Like it's get drunk. It's just, and I sort of had to start making a bit of a rule for myself. And it was partly about like the longevity of my career and the longevity of being, making my job sustainable with having a healthy body. Um, but I had to start being like, okay, I'm only having a drink at a gig. If there is someone at the gig, that I will have a drink with outside of comedy. So, as in, if I've got a friend there, you know your friends start coming and stuff and then I had to start being like okay what then you start socializing with other comedians and you're like oh shit I can't do that and I have to start being a little bit more like okay if I'm gigging four nights this week um I'm not drinking except on that that Thursday one Mm -hmm. I'll drink at the Monday and Tuesday no like Saturday sure like or Saturday after I'm going out like whatever but not like I just remember specifically also like probably a Tuesday evening in like March 2017 so a couple of months in and I think I think the next day I started noticing my shoulders like seizing up I think I probably got home at like 2 Mm a.m and I went to work the next morning like and it just there's Mm -hmm. a point in your 20s when that I remember doing that like quite regularly I was 31 and I remember being like, oh, I I can't do this anymore. And it like, but if you're able to seek and find people who are available to go out and comedians Mm. can be very, very, the kind of people who are like, yeah, Yeah. four more drinks. Like they're fun as well. Like it's fun to be around them. And then you're out until 2 a.m. regularly. Mm. Like that's like that. Is that a physical effect? Like, but I think it is. You're, You're looking for something to like, Alter your mind, yeah. Do you smoke? Yeah. Did, what, did you end yeah, up doing that? Yeah, I don't smoke more? anymore. Um, yeah, I think I had stopped before okay. that, and I definitely had more cigarettes that year. Mm. I think one one more thing to I want to talk about before we sort of like wrap up is the lovely the gut, um, which is a horrible word. I think it's just the <laughs> most disgusting or yeah. horrible word. But anyway, the gut—they're really important and. Um, individual to us and I find it absolutely mad that we have this colony of things living in us that are essential to life like if they died we just we wouldn't survive I think I find that absolutely fascinating anyway a lot of people when they go through grief have um symptoms of IBS 
um, people can develop Crohn's from trauma and grief. Um, so, and you know, you can have all all sorts of things go on because of it. At the early days, like I didn't have an appetite. Obviously, fair enough. I think a lot of people don't. But also, like I lost yeah. a lot of weight, but I wasn't eating. I don't think from memory my diet changed very much. I think I was still eating mm. a, a lot. I remember losing like a lot of weight within a few weeks. Um, like a, a, it was, I was it re- actually got to a point where I was really, really unwell, um, lost a lot of weight. And I just remember thinking, but I'm still eating like as much. So I don't know if there's something to do with like your just digestion, not digesting things properly anymore, because I was definitely eating. And I honestly, I think yeah. I lost about 10 kilos in three weeks. It was really bad. Don't remember things being different that year. I mean, I was exercising a lot more generally. Yeah. Um, Which can bring its own gut problems. Well, yeah, but also, um, look, I, I don't want to overshare on a mental health podcast, <laughs> but I've got my my guts generally been like quite healthy. Yeah. And so I really do notice if things go wrong, um, or it, like, or even if I've just had a particularly bad like bad food week like mm. I, I don't really eat fast sorry to be a brag here I don't really eat fast food like if I do eat mm. fast food it's like I, I know exactly where the best <clears throat> falafel wraps are at 1am like and I, I'll, yeah. I'll be like no I'm, I'm going on a big detour to go to Alibaba and Dalston like um but like I won't but when I do eat shit food then I notice but I don't think I was particularly but I might have had a bit of like appetite loss but I wasn't too bad but I know again it's a PTSD response like you're yeah. like some there's a whole bit in the book about like about <laughs> I need to get this book just like eva- evacuating I'm sorry I know it's you know when you're like I just can't stop talking about it well I think I might become a psychologist actually or like at least one of those pop ones be like I read a book once and now I know everything yeah. about one thing like um but um no I uh yeah like and about how that is a trauma response is like mm. uh like basically like it, your body needs more it needs more energy and so you're and it's also things that happen when you're like in fight or flight and that's why people literally shit themselves is your body's like yeah. I need to get rid of that excess weight or like or if you're too cold mm. your body's like I don't want to heat up all of this extra water or mass and so it will be like right evacuate that stuff mm. because we're now in a point where we need to do like what what your body needs is to use all of its energy to heat you or keep you alive or let you run away from the dinosaur that's chasing you or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that is probably a trauma response is like weight loss because yeah. you might literally just be shitting a bit more <laughs> before you've, your body's absorbed the right nutrients. Yeah. There we go. I mean, look, I don't know if that's science, I but <laughs> I've made it work <laughs> in my head. <laughs> it sounds scientific. No, it's true. Like I, it, it was, it was just yeah. a period of time that was really, un, it was really difficult to understand what was going on. Um, and what yeah. I ended up doing was just going back home from where I was in Liverpool and just sort of going back yeah. to, you know, like my mum's cooking and like a nice food again and yeah. sort of like I just needed to get out of that space and then it sort of went back to normal. But also at the same time, I was very physically unwell as in, you know, with illness, as it like coughing, sick, like had something going on. And that's the other thing. You get really, you get really um, susceptible to illness. Your immune system can be completely 
obliterated. And that actually, I think, is quite connected to the gut as well. Um, Immune system. A lot of immune system is driven by um, the powerhouse is the gut. The more you learn about the gut, by the way, the more you realize that it's it's more impressive than any other organ. They should have just given it a better name, though. What... What can people do if they are experiencing physical effects of what they might, you know, might be grief or might not be grief and who knows? Um, Mm. uh, Well, my advice is always to go and see your GP. Uh, Don't self-diagnose from Google or books (laughs) by renowned psychologists. Um, Or podcasts by two doctors. I mean, seriously. So I've got a big thing about when you see your GP, if you don't, if they, and they do like, I think doctors are incredible people, but some of them do fob you off very quickly, particularly if you look young and healthy. If you do feel like your GP hasn't taken your concern seriously, call the clinic again and ask to see a different one. And it like, it's un-British to do that. And I don't care. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. See another GP and just say, I need a second opinion. Like why, why are my periods up the spout and I also have back pain? Like, what's going on there? Like, you're, I, if you do menstruate, um, I think your period is a really good indicator of what is going on physically mm. and, like, generally, like, what's wrong with you. Um, so really keep an eye on that. Track your periods if you can. Physio, if you've got back pain, ask your GP for a referral. It might take six weeks. If you can afford it, pay for a session before that. If you can't wait the six weeks, if you can't wait the six weeks, go back to them the following day and say, I can't get out of bed. It is affecting my life and I need to go and see a physio. Taking autonomy with medical professionals, I think is really, really difficult. And it's, um, you know, my my mum's a nurse and so I find it probably a little bit easier to navigate because she'll just be like, I'll just call them again. Mm. Like, or she'll call them for me. (laughs) <laughs> no, I think I still think that's um, such a such a helpful thing for people to do to each other is call pe- call people on behalf. Yeah, yeah, I think it's great. It's because it's cool. Um, I'd say firstly, I completely agree in terms of NHS and how we interact with them. I think we need to be less British about how we interact with them, and that's not because I think GPs and all these people are useless. I don't think they are. They're fantastic at what they do, and it's not their fault that they're given. Yeah. Bloody 10 minutes to diagnose someone and then do all the seven, paperwork seven minutes. seven minutes yeah it's absolutely bizarre right <laughs> probably yeah. so I um it's not on them but I do know my mum does a lot of work around this is you know especially people that are um you know with going through some slightly stigmatized things eating disorders for example the way we interact with the NHS yeah. can really make massive differences in terms of outcome for patients if we're a little bit firmer in the right way with certain questions um it's yeah. it's really important I think yeah 100% call back if you're worried you're worried like don't just let someone tell you it's nothing um and then my other advice would be um firstly a lot of it comes down to how well you're looking after yourself and that's not meant as a criticism. It's just, I think it's important to, if yeah. things start going off the rails, um, just to sort of recenter on the basic three, which is eating, sleeping and exercising. And if you can start yeah. to just fall back on that net a little bit, you can you can pretty much get back to functioning okay if those three are in check. And yeah. obviously sleeping is a difficult one. Like we can force ourselves to eat healthy food. We can force ourselves for a walk as exercise, okay? But sleeping can be quite difficult because if you're, thoughts are running wild and can't get to sleep then it's you can't just be like oh, i'm gonna go to sleep now um so i'd say try and work out how you can sleep better if that's again having a chat with a gp yeah. then th- that's what needs to happen because often when you're tired it's fine you find it harder to go to sleep in some cases so like yeah. actually what sometimes or you know stay asleep as well was my thing. yeah sometimes and the quality of sleep as well sometimes you can get sudden like 
help from a GP from the NHS on sleep um, or obviously meditation and stuff like that. But I'd say my final piece of advice is actually like don't criticize yourself for these things. Like I know yeah. at so many times I was really just found myself pathetic for getting ill so quickly and like I was just and doing yeah. things that like drinking and waking up the next day being like I am so pathetic I'm so bad at doing this and it was really just didn't help anything and it was wrong because yeah. I don't think I am pathetic <laughs> um it was just the criticism and guilt and shame yeah. that was completely misplaced and I'll go back to what I said before if you haven't hurt anyone mm. intentionally you have nothing to apologize for and you have no reason to feel shame or guilt so have the nap do whatever you want to do. Have the KFC if you need a KFC. Like it's just not. You just get rid of this guilt and shame that's misplaced. Don't ignore it. Like if you if you've got a physical symptom, and you're someone who's like like alpha, like okay, no, I'm going to carry on. Or you're like, oh no, I think it'll probably be fine. Don't ignore it. Yeah. Like your body is like if you're exhibiting pain, if you you know if something's not not normal. Like say something, say something to your GP, say something to your friend, just yeah. be like, I think I'm doing like, just voice it as well. Yeah. Because I think I didn't realize quite how ill I was until I told a couple of people like, and they were like, oh, and I was like, oh shit, mm. like, I can see it in your face now. Yeah. Mm. So there we go. Physical effects of grief happens to all of us. Anyway, thanks so much for joining us on this journey. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Thanks so much for listening. Conversations in Company would like to thank ACAST for letting us use their studio, our wonderful guests and all you listeners. Thank you for your generous support. Please do rate, review and subscribe or send it to a friend you think might need it. We'll be back with another episode soon.